Live from the capital of the Commonwealth, this is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. Sun peeking out from behind the hazy clouds. Talon is ready. 2-1 pitch. Geloff swings and drives one. Out to left field. Albright back on the warning track. Slowing at the wall. He's got it! That's a Blue Devil winner! The Duke Blue Devils are a win away from the College World Series. Geloff just getting it off the end of the bat. And Albright right at the wall makes the grab. And the Blue Devils will play for a chance at Omaha tomorrow. It's hugs and high fives in the center of the diamond. Final score in game one of this Charlottesville Super Regional. Duke five, Virginia four. You heard Chris Edwards live on the Sports Huddle yesterday afternoon previewing the Duke-Virginia NCAA Baseball Super Regional. And then, just moments ago, you heard him from about an hour ago calling the final out, a dramatic final out of Duke's 5-4 victory over Virginia to take game one of the best of three Super Regional in Charlottesville. It was an instant classic, and I don't think I'm embellishing that because we are in the moment and that game is still so fresh in our minds and literally just ended a little bit more than an hour ago. It's a great way to lead off the sports huddle for a Friday afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. Bob Black with you here hosting remotely. AJ in our ESPN Richmond studios. Would love for you to interact on the program with us this afternoon. 804 327 0888 gets you on the air. It's also our text line, 327-0888. I guess you could call this a little bit of an upset, Duke beating Virginia, although there are some analytical factors that would tell you it's not necessarily an upset. Big picture, Virginia is the number seven overall seed in the NCAA baseball tournament. They have only lost five games at home all year they are 35 and 5 and until today they were 45 and 0 when leading going into the seventh inning you can erase all those numbers from the white marker board or the old blackboard whatever you'd like to do because virginia has lost five home games this year and three of them have now come to the duke blue devils they lost two during the regular season and the toughest one of all this afternoon in the NCAA Super Regional. And Duke is starting to make a habit of come-from-behind wins. Five times already this year, they trailed after the seventh, and they won. They did it again today. They scored two in the top half of the eighth inning to take that 5-4 lead, and then their bullpen held on against that vaunted, high-powered, Virginia offense and Jake Geloff one of their top hitters sent that ball right to the fence in left field with the tying and winning runs on base and two outs in the bottom of the ninth that you couldn't ask for much more than that you couldn't make up more than that nobody would have believed it 
Geloff's drive just shy of the fence. Tyler Albright, the Duke left fielder, made the catch, and Duke has the win in game one of the three-game series. Hope you got a chance to watch some of it. I had it tuned in on ESPN2 this afternoon, and it really was gripping drama. I know we talk all the time about the NCAA basketball tournament never disappoints. Well, I think you need to become a college baseball fan and watch some of the NCAA baseball tournament because that never disappoints either. And today's game, certainly right up there. And Duke did it the way Chris Edwards, when he was on with us yesterday, explained it to us the way they go so deep into the bullpen the way they use their entire lineup they go up and down that lineup to get runs on the board and then they turn the ball over to their bullpen and they will go deep they went five pitchers deep today Andrew Healy the starter only threw 39 pitches went the first three innings and they turned it over the bullpen and finished it with the freshman James Talon on the mound in the bottom of the ninth with the Super Regional Game 1 on the line. He's one of the best freshman pitchers in the country. And he got the job done despite giving up a two-out hit and a two-out walk and setting the stage for that dramatic deep fly ball to left to end it. Virginia kind of did it the opposite way. Nick Parker, their starter, went into the seventh and threw 102 pitches. Now, I'll tell you who actually struggled again today for UVA was Jay Wolfuck who some believe could be at quarterback come September for the Virginia football team, has had a really good year as a closer out of the bullpen for the Cavaliers, but not today. A third of an inning, two hits, and the two earned runs in that game that led to the Duke victory. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, As we mentioned yesterday when Chris Edwards was on with us, the play-by-play voice, of the Duke Blue Devils. I've got a little bit of split allegiances here. Look, let's be clear and full disclosure, and I've mentioned this many times on this program, but uh, my kid, my former baseball-playing kid who loves the sport as well, works at Duke for the ACC Network. And, in fact, I think he's going to be in Charlottesville tomorrow. Um, And he could be watching history. Who knows? If Duke can win again tomorrow and go to the College World Series, that would really be something. On the other hand, I really like Virginia, and I really like Virginia baseball. And they have been so successful under Brian O'Connor. And, of course, if they keep winning, we keep talking about them. So, from that standpoint... I would like Virginia to win, but obviously I got a little bit of the emotional strings tugging at the heart for Duke to win as well, which is why today was perfect. That was just a perfect game to watch. So much fun, so much drama, sellout crowd again at Disharoon Park there in Charlottesville, including the contingent of blue-clad Duke Blue Devil fans as well. So Duke wins it 5-4. Uh, it's the first game of the Super Regionals that was scheduled today. There are three more coming up later, and then the other four will get underway tomorrow in addition to the game twos of the games that are playing today. So in addition to Virginia and Duke today, you got South Carolina and Florida. That's an all-SEC matchup. That's 6 o'clock tonight. you got TCU and Indiana State. That's a 5 o'clock game tonight. And you got Oral Roberts and Oregon the late game out west at 8 o'clock. By the way, I don't know if you saw the story, and I hadn't really talked about it, about Indiana State. Um, Well, they were one of the top teams in the country, and they won their regional, and by all rights, they should have been playing the Super Regional at home. TCU, the opponent, lower ranked than Indiana State, and Indiana State should have had the Super Regional 
at home, but they had scheduling conflicts on their campus to include, and we've talked about this a lot this week, last couple of weeks here in Virginia, their annual Special Olympics event is on the campus of Indiana State, and it's been there for like 50 years. And they just didn't have the manpower and the facilities and the hotel rooms and all of that to host the NCAA Super Regional and host their Special Olympics Indiana this weekend. So they had to move that series to TCU's home. So TCU will be at home for that Super Regional against Indiana State, although Indiana State will be the home team for tonight's first game. And there was a little bit of a they were very cool uh, thing that happened. A lot of the TCU fans made donations to Indiana Special Olympics. Like, they were like, yeah, we get it. You guys should have been the home team. We understand it. Nobody's going to displace the Special Olympics. Nobody wants to do that. And we're thrilled to be able to host at home. And they made donations, monetary donations, to Special Olympics Indiana. Pretty pretty cool story there. So keep your keep your eye on that one. Those are the four Super Regionals today. Duke knocking off UVA 5-4. to four, And then you got South Carolina, Florida, TCU, Indiana State, Oral Roberts, and Oregon today and then uh, tomorrow the number one overall seed wake forest will play its first game at home against alabama you got kentucky and lsu another all sec um super regional tennessee southern miss and texas and stanford that's a heavyweight battle uh out in california stanford the home team there is the number eight overall seed so i love college baseball you know that and uh, today's game did nothing to temper that enthusiasm at all with Duke knocking off UVA 5-4. Uh, that gets us started on a Friday afternoon. Here's where we're headed as we get you into the weekend. Here's what's coming up on today's Sports Huddle. Just a huge fan of sports. This is the River City Rundown. River City Rundown. River City Rundown brought to you by our friends at the Richmond Chapter of the American Red Cross. We urge you to support the local RVA community by volunteering your services or donating blood to the Red Cross. To learn more about how you can help during this critical time, visit Red Cross. There was so much more, by the way, in that Virginia Duke game. I don't want to go on and on about it. Well, yeah, I kind of do want to go on and on about it. But, like, Duke scored the two winning runs in the eighth inning. That's been their best inning this season. I think they've scored, like, 77 runs in the eighth inning. So, statistically, that made sense. As we said, Virginia hadn't lost a game all year, leading after six. And I think if you go back, like, the last five years, they're, like, 104, 110, and one when they lead going into the seventh inning. Just amazing numbers, which, again, is why you could call it maybe an upset because Virginia is the number seven overall seed, and Duke came into the season, you know, really not in anybody's conversation, and yet here they are. But a lot of these other numbers would lead you to believe that, hey, Duke's got a chance to win, which is what they did today in Charlottesville. All right. Coming up on our program this afternoon, after the break, back to Commander's Talk. We started getting into it yesterday afternoon with Sean Robertson when he co-hosted uh, with me, and we're going to pick it up this afternoon. I mentioned we would have either John Keim or Michael Phillips, and the loser of that battle has to come on the air with me. That's Michael Phillips. He's going to join us coming up right after the break. He's got a great breakdown, by the way, on, on um, Richmond.com, Richmond Times-Dispatch, position by position of the Commanders as they finish up minicamp, 
get set for their summer break before they come back um, for the fall camp and to get ready for the season. So Michael will verbalize a lot of that for us. He's going to join us in just a couple of moments. A little bit after 5 o'clock, uh, Mark Zuckerman will join us. Nats Chat Podcast. We'll talk some Major League Baseball. Times have gotten tough for those Washington Nationals. They're in Atlanta this weekend and i'll give you a little bit of inside radio before we take the break because you're going to hear it later in the show but until we had that dramatic end of the virginia duke game today the braves walk off win last night was going to be our lead this afternoon and we will get back to it we'll call it our secondary lead at the bottom of the hour after we talk some commanders football maybe with michael phillips so we got we got a lot to do on the show today and notice i mentioned it was the braves walk off win not the mets walk off loss because my producer aj would probably hit the mute button on me when I mentioned that the Mets had three run leads in all three games in that series, and they lost all three of them. I got that in before I could hit the mute button. That was uh, unnecessary. <laughs> oh, man. Tough times for the Mets. Can you hear the smile on my face all the way from here? Tough times for the Mets. And the Braves have just been absolutely remarkable. They are certainly the cream of the crop in the National League East and probably in the National League as well. All right, enough of that for now. We'll get back to it later. Time out on the Sports Huddle. When we come back, Michael Phillips, Richmond Times-Dispatch. We'll talk some Commanders minicamp next on 1061 ESPN. The Nuggets respond, winning game three in Miami. Now the Heat face a critical game four. Will they bounce back, or will the Nuggets take the commanding 3-1 lead back to Denver? Coverage begins tonight at 7.30 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ABC, presented by Indeed. You can also listen on the ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Traffic reports on... Quickly towards about 20 after 4 on a Friday afternoon as we get you into your weekend and your sports weekend as well. Welcome back to the Sports Huddle. Bob Black with you here. Thanks for locking in with us, 1061 ESPN. Washington Commanders, we talked a decent amount about them yesterday when Sean Robertson was in with me to co-host yesterday afternoon, and we promised we would continue that conversation today. And now's the time to do that with Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, Richmond.com, who's been up there in Ashburn and keeping his eyes on the Commanders' minicamp action. Michael, thank you for joining us. Good to hear from you again. Uh, hope you're doing all right and didn't have too many issues with the uh, poor air quality up there in the D.C. area. It was a little wild up there, a little, a little more wild than here. Yeah, we got uh, we got our high school staff up there today for the uh, Spring Jubilee, the VHSL tournament. So, uh, you know, the world revolves around Northern Virginia. We just live in it. Did you uh, experience any issues up there? I know the commanders moved uh, the practice indoors yesterday, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, I actually I, I went out for a, uh, a six mile jog uh, uh, Wednesday night. I guess that was. So I'm probably the wrong person to ask. It didn't face me at all. But uh, it was it was pretty wild. The sun, you could like stare directly at the sun as it was setting because you know the haze was right in front of it. I, I've not seen anything like that before. It's so funny you say that. First of all, I'm very impressed you're an Iron Man, Michael. You are an Iron, Iron Man. Man. Six Iron mile Man. run. Didn't feel a thing. Hardly needed to take an extra breath. 
Very impressive by your endurance and athleticism. I did the same thing last night with the sun as it was setting. I was like, wow, I can stare right at it and watch it set behind the houses and the clouds. It was really cool. All right, we get way off track there. But I understand what I understand what you're talking about, certainly. So Sean and I yesterday were kind of talking about where we thought maybe most of the eyeballs were centered on this mini camp. Was it like Chase Young because of everything that's going on with him and coming back from injury and the contract and all of that? Is it Sam Howell? For obvious reason, is it Eric Bieniemy, the new offensive coordinator? Where did you kind of put most of your focus of attention, or what kind of opened your eyes the most from this minicamp? Yeah, I think Chase Young was one because he and Montez Sweat both held out. I, I know Chase Young's the headliner, but let's not forget Montez Sweat's a really important part of this team too. He and Chase Young are buddies; they both share the same agent, Rich Paul, who uh, has ties to LeBron James. Clutch Sports is the agency, so. They, they do kind of move in tandem on a lot of things, and it was very jarring to see them back in the sense of you know, they, they wreck games. They're, they're very large men. It's what they do, and it, it was a noticeable difference in those scrimmage periods with those guys out there as opposed to those guys not out there. So it was really hard not to notice them. Another guy who's really hard to notice, Eric, not to notice, Eric Bieniemy. He's He has made his presence felt. Uh, he is, I, I mean, I don't want to overstate this, but he is the head coach of the offense. He, he makes all the decisions and will make all the decisions as part of the deal here. You know, Ron Rivera is very hands-off with that unit. Eric Bieniemy calls all the shots. I know you'll be hearing from Ron Rivera throughout the season, uh, but but the buck really doesn't stop there, which which has certainly been an eye-opener from camp. And you mentioned Sam Howell, absolutely. You always got to talk quarterback. Um, you know, the headline uh, item there, Ron Rivera saying he, he's done enough to be QB1 going into training camp. I think we all see that he's going to start the opener. Um, but it, it's an important season, and it's an important first few games. You, you got that opener against Arizona. That, that's a bad football team. Uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to win that game. <laughs> I think Eric Bieniemy may have taken some of the pressure off of Jack Del Rio, right? We've hardly even talked about yeah. him because of Bieniemy's presence in, in Washington. What did you see defensively from what Del Rio is doing with that defense? Yeah, and he also gets a little of the benefit of the doubt because his unit was fine last year. You know, wasn't wasn't their fault they didn't make the playoffs. It was the offense's fault for not delivering down the stretch in those crucial games when they when they just needed to beat the Browns or beat the Giants to to get in. Uh, really, it was the offense that held them back. wasn't able to do that. I'm most fascinated by the secondary this year, Bob. You've got Quan Martin, the second round draft pick out of Illinois. There, there's no room for him in the starting five. That nickel defense they like to run. You, you've got. Benjamin St. Juice, you've got uh, Kendall Fuller, you've got uh, Emmanuel Forbes has to play. He's your first-round draft pick. And then, then Cam Curl and Derek Forrest at safety, that's five. Um, you know, but, but they love Quan Martin, second-round draft pick out of Illinois. He can play a lot of the positions. He can play at nickel. He can play at safety. He could probably play corner and in the slot, too. Um, it'll be fascinating to see how they work him into the lineup. So, therefore, if we have talked about the defensive line with guys like Sweat and Young and the rest of those guys, and you've just talked about the defensive backs, um, does that mean the linebacking core is, is kind of the biggest question mark of the defense? Oh, no no question. I mean, your biggest question mark is probably will Chase Young show up or not this yeah, year. Not, right. not, not, liter- not literally, but will he get 10 sacks? Will he reassert himself? as a dominant force. I think that's probably your number one factor in how the defense goes this year because there's just not a lot of depth behind him. There's really a lot on Chase Young to deliver, as there should be for a former number two overall draft pick. Um, They're just skating my linebacker. (laughs) He's got Cody Barton comes over from the Seahawks. He 
he's fine. You got Jamin Davis in year three. Uh, he's fine. Uh, yeah, it's it's not a position that inspires anybody, but you know the way they call this defense and run this defense, I I would not be surprised to see some times when it's five defensive backs, five on the defensive line, and one linebacker. Huh? Yeah, that'd be interesting. And Ron Rivera will have a hand in that, I would imagine, along, <laughs> yeah. along with Jack Del Rio as well. But you make a good point on Bianami really taking over um, the offense. So before we even get into the gist of Sam Howell, Michael, we know he's got to be upright and not flat on the ground in order to have any level of success. Will this offensive line be able to do that for him? Boy, that, that is my number one question offensively. It's not even how will Sam Howell do. It's will Sam Howell get a chance to be that good? Will he get a chance to have three seconds in the pocket, be able to make his read? I, I think this offensive line on paper is fine. Uh, yeah, how's that? Yeah, you know, they're, they're not going to play that clip there to get anybody fired up. They, they're fine. They're fine. They're good enough. Charles Leno's good enough at left tackle. You run down the line. Sadiq Charles, uh, they, they add uh, Nick Gates. Andrew Wiley's fine. Sam Cosmo move inside the guard. They're all fine. There's no worries. But that is an injury-prone unit, and there is not a lot of depth there. If we get to week six, week seven, I'm quite concerned. Hmm. Well, if they're fine then the really strong suit of this offense, I would think, would be at the wide receiver position, right? Absolutely. With, with McLaurin, Dotson, Samuel, right? Oh, and they're so good. I I think they had a real winner last year in Jahan Dotson in the draft. I, I think we, we got a little bit of a taste of what he can do. He made some big catches. People got to see that. I don't think people understand how good he's going to be. And I don't say this to diminish Terry McLaurin, because Terry McLaurin is the star on this team. That That's unquestioned of the offense. But, man, Jahan Dotson's going to be very good. You can't double-team them both. Uh, whoever doesn't get taken away is going to be a legit threat to catch the ball on every play. Man, if, I just feel like if I'm Sam Howell, I could not have walked into a better situation. I get coached by the guy who's coached Patrick Mahomes for the last five years. I get to throw the ball to McLaurin, Dotson, Samuel. Yes, you, there, there are once on the offensive line. But on the whole, for a fifth-round draft pick, he is being set up for success. Michael Phillips, Richmond Times-Dispatch, Richmond.com. We're breaking down the Washington Commanders through minicamp, which Michael did in a really good uh, uh, story, a really good column on Richmond.com. And as I read through that, you reminded all of us that Eric Bieniemy used to be a running back. So how does he <laughs> coach the running backs? Is that almost a double-edged sword where you're going to get the wealth of his experience, but you're also going to get his wrath because that's the spot he knows the best? Boy, that hammer comes down hard when, when he does. <laughs> I, you know, it's Here's here's the big question on Eric Bieniemy. Everybody's been very happy with him so far. The practices are noticeably better. I, I think he's an absolute improvement over Scott Turner. But he's a, he's a nose to the grindstone, hard work, high intensity guy, and that worked great for the Chiefs. The Chiefs don't go on losing streaks, Bob. The Chiefs' the losing streak is shoot, we lost a game to the Cincinnati Bengals. Just guess we'll just have to go fourteen and three this year. It's it's going to be different here. Even if these guys have a wildly successful season, there will probably be a three-game losing streak in there. They, I mean, it is tough to not do that in the NFL with the amount of parity out there. How will that style hold up in a losing streak? How will that style hold up over the grind of a long season, especially if they're not achieving their goals? These are questions we don't know, but I'll, I'll say this. I'm, I'm ready to find out. The previous, the previous system wasn't working any good. I mean, look, you, you can't look at the results of the last two years, miss the playoffs by a game, miss the playoffs by a game, offense held them back both times. You can't look at that and say, 
well, golly gee, they should have just stuck with Scott Turner and seen what happened. No, you, you saw what happened. It's absolutely the right move to go to Eric Bieniemy. That's not to say it's a sure thing that it's going to work out. And look, they can't get a winning streak going without starting to win, and there would be no better time to do that than right at the start of the year, right? You pointed that out. They've got a, a pretty favorable start to the season, at least the first couple of games. You know, you, you go to Denver in week two, and I, I'm not going to declare that a game you should win or anything. It's a road mm-hmm. game in the NFL. But, but a new coach, Sean Payton, working to kind of rebuild Russell Wilson, I'd much rather play those guys in week two than in week 16. I'll tell you that much. That's, you know, same with Arizona Cardinals. New coach, he's going to put in a new style. I'd much rather play them in week one than week 18. He had a little bit of that last year. These guys survived to beat Jacksonville in week one. Jacksonville was a playoff team. That turned out to be a pretty good team. I think it's a favorable schedule. I, I think it sets them up well to get rolling, get a little success, get Sam Howell, you know, dunking and diving and all those things he's going to do. Uh, I, I don't think you could ask for much more in terms of getting set up. You've also... You open at home and, and knock on wood, presuming this sale goes through eventually someday, you know, at some point, that will be the first game under new ownership. I think there's going to be, you know, a pretty big crowd there, a pretty enthusiastic crowd there. I think it'll be a nice atmosphere. All right, what happens now, Michael, really, for the next six weeks or so? Is it is it pretty much no football at this point? What do you, What happens here until everybody reconvenes at the end of July? No football, but it's aspirin, so you know there's drama, Bob. Uh, so we, we've got we've got two mileposts here. I'm expecting the team to be formally sold mm-hmm. in, in, towards the end of those six weeks, right before training camp. I think they'll do the vote, they'll do the handoff, uh, and new ownership will take over. That will obviously be a big momentous event. Number two, we've been told the Mary Jo White investigation into Dan Snyder will be released, even with the sale. Um, I would expect that to be quietly dropped at some point this summer, too. Uh, there are no dull days in Ashburn. <laughs> Has any of this impacted players? I-, I can understand where Ron Rivera, you know, he's keeping his eyes on this thing. But how about from a player perspective, Michael? I, I think the number one impact here is the the money has dried up from the Dan Snyder end. And, you know, any future big contracts are, are going to be given from Josh Harris's group once he takes over. They really want to give Cam Curl, the young safety, a contract extension this offseason. They really can't do that until the ownership change. Uh, so, so the sooner that gets done, the, the quicker you can make him happy and run forward with that. That's a guy you don't want to lose, obviously. So I, I think he's the one probably watching the TV the closest here. Well, it sounds like you're raring and ready to go already, but I would certainly encourage you to take some downtime here over the next six weeks. I'm sure you will do that before we kick this thing off in late July, Michael. We, we will have plenty of time to talk during training camp, get excited for this thing, get our hopes up, get let down. Man, it's an annual tradition, Bob. I enjoy doing it with you. We look forward to doing it again. Michael, enjoy the summer, and we will catch up with you before long. Thanks for a great breakdown of the commanders today. You bet. Take care. Michael Phillips, Richmond Times-Dispatch. He was with us regularly last season, and we'll try and work that out again for this year because he's great. Whether he's writing the articles or his perspective or talking to us about it on the radio, we certainly get a great breakdown on the Washington Commanders. And, again, he was excited going into last year. As you might recall, we kind of, you know, not called him out, but kind of begged to differ a little bit with just how optimistic he was being, and it turned out he shouldn't have been quite as optimistic as he would with no playoff at the end of that regular season. So he sounds optimistic again. Proof will be in the pudding. We'll wait and see what happens. As I've been saying for years and years now, until they absolutely win 10, 11 games in a season, I'm not picking them to go anything but 8-9 and nine or 9-8, and eight, right in that 
right in that realm until they can prove otherwise. Um, we're going to leave them right, right there. So, uh, all right, good stuff from Michael Phillips um, on this Friday afternoon as they wrap up uh, minicamp. I do think they have that one more scheduled for Tuesday. I don't even know if that will actually happen. Sometimes a coach will say, hey, we've had a good enough time. Let, let's get you out of here. Let's get you to the to the off season." But they may use it just to get a few more reps in on Tuesday. But for the most part, uh, the commander is pretty much done. Shut it down until they reconvene in Ashburn in late July. All right, we'll reconvene in a moment. We're going to get to the Major League Baseball when we come back, all right? This is what we were going to lead with this afternoon because it really was amazing, and there are a couple of backstories to what we're going to talk about and what you're going to hear on the Major League Baseball front that just got put a little bit on the back burner by the way that Duke-Virginia game ended this afternoon in Charlottesville with Duke knocking off the Cavaliers 5-4 with the drive to the fence that would have won the game if it had been a home run. Instead, it was a third out in the bottom of the ninth being really dramatic. So we started out with that. We'll go to Major League Baseball, and yes, those red-hot Atlanta Braves and those downtrodden New York Mets coming up when we come back on the Sports Saddle. Season doesn't start till September? Think again. We're prepping for the 2023 season right now. I'm talking OTAs, voluntary mini camps, mandatory mini camps, all the mini camps. The NFL is always in season here on 1061 ESPN Richmond. I love the organ. Well done, AJ. Well played. You're on your A game, even as dismayed and disgruntled as you might be, because the Braves party came at the expense of the New York Mets. And for the third straight day, unable to hold a three-run lead, and the last two came with uh, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander on the mound for the New York Mets, the two high-priced veteran guys supposed to lead the Mets to the promised land, and they lost all three of those games. And look, the Braves didn't just have one hero last night in Ozzie Albies, the three-run homer, obviously, the climactic blow and a 13-10 to victory. But they needed a home run from Orlando Arcia in the ninth inning off of the Mets' closer, David Robertson, former Philly, by the way, Uh, just to tie the game and send it into extra innings. Uh, This was an amazing game last night, and who would have thought a game that started out with Justin Verlander for the Mets and Spencer Strider for the Braves would end 13-10. to That's why you never know what you're going to see when you go to the ballpark night in and night out. And that was the case last night. The Braves wound up sweeping that series. There's no doubt they're the class of the National League East, and I think you can make an argument class of the National League. The Dodgers in Arizona might have something to say about that. But right now, the Braves are as hot as can possibly be. And to beat your arch rival, your division rival, three straight, coming from behind in all three of them, you're feeling pretty good. Look, they might have a letdown this weekend against the Washington Nationals. Mark Zuckerman's going to join us at the top of the hour from the Nats Chat Podcast. This might be a good time to get the Braves 
Who knows? Because they might have a little bit of a letdown. I doubt it. Um, but you never – I mean, that was unbelievably dramatic what they did last night. And, look, I stumbled on something last night. I want you to hear something. That play-by-play call from the Braves radio network, that was um, Joe Simpson, Ben Ingram. You hear them here on 1061 ESPN, and you could have heard it last night, that call, if you were if you were tuned in. But if you watch the game on Braves television last night on Bally Sports South, they did something different last night. And it was phenomenal. You know, I've talked about this before, how Major League Baseball and baseball in general lends itself to being able to try unconventional things when it comes to their broadcasts and their telecasts. We've talked a lot about the on-field interviews during the game with players where they wear the microphone on the earpiece and they converse with the broadcasters. And I love it. Unconventional, cutting edge. I think it's worked for the most part. I think the networks have backed off it a little bit. I know ESPN still does it on the Sunday night game, but you don't want too much of a good thing. And last night, if you watch the Braves telecast, you got another one. They had no true play-by-play announcer. Jeff Francoeur is one of their analysts, a former Brave player, and he kind of you know, was the traffic cop, if you will, of the telecast. And he had with him in the Braves TV booth, booth three Braves Hall of Famers, Chipper Jones, Tom Glavin, and John Smoltz. And it was fabulous to watch the telecast, to listen to those guys. They had a booth cam set up, uh, so regularly you got a shot of the four of them sitting there in the booth, whether they were just talking between pitches or how they reacted to the home runs the Braves hit, what the Mets were doing, stories they were telling. They interspersed highlights of all of those guys, you know, from the Braves' glory years. And there they were in the booth, chipper, Glavin, Smoltz, Francoeur, when Ozzie Albies hit the walk-off homer. And that'll do it! Woo! Start the buses! Poor Larry, a crown! Oh, man! It's time to eat! That will do it! (laughs) All right, AJ, I'm going to ask you this question. Do you understand, and I'll explain it, do you understand at all the reference to pour Larry a crown. No, I do not. No? Well, you know what the crown part is, right? Come on now. I mean, you're I can an, assume. You're an adult crown royal, right? Oh, the, yeah. The drink. All right, here's one of the great trivia questions that we used on this program several times. I'm sure back in the day we are giving away tickets and that sort of thing. What is Chipper Jones' real first name? Oh, do you know? You know, like I helped him practice when I was a kid when he was what? with the Braves. Yeah, yeah, when he was with the R Braves. I I do not know. What do you mean you helped him practice? I helped him. Pra- yeah, I was allowed to go out there. Like we went out on the field. Chipper was really good with uh, the kids when he was here for the Richmond Braves. What'd you do? Hit ground balls to him or something? Oh the, no, we tossed things around. It was a, it was a nice little like whatever to the eleven and twelve year olds. I also uh, played w- with Michael Bolton in softball in this in this building with this stadium, Harvard Stadium. Anyway, uh, no, I should know this. And I, it's wait, is it Adam? No. Let's go back to the play by play clip. Can you play it again? The TV one that you just played. Sure, let's listen to that delightful Play it again thing. And again. Listen carefully, AJ. Hey. <laughs> and that'll do it. Woo! Start the bus. 
Francis. Poor Larry a crown. Oh, This one, right. this segment will never end. Okay, I heard it, but so I was trying to ignore it. it. Larry. Chipper Jones' real first name is Larry. Never used it, of course. It was always Chipper. So the reference, and I don't know who said it. I don't know if that was Frank Core. I think it was Frank Core who said, poor Larry a crown. Game's over. Ozzy Osby hits the three-run walk-off homer. But one of the stories they told during the telecast last night is that the one team that used to get under Chipper's skin a little bit were the Mets back in the day. And they would always chirp at him, Larry, Larry. The Mets fans at Old Shea Stadium and then at City Field would do the same thing. They would like he'd strike out. He didn't strike out that often against the Mets, but when he did, Larry, Larry. So they were talking about it. So that was the reference to that. And that will become a classic play-by-play line of this season for the Atlanta Braves. Poor Larry, a crown. Now, the Atlanta Braves, let's give them some credit here. I'm on Twitter this afternoon, AJ, and on the Braves' Twitter feed, like half an hour ago, it pops up. Is your name Larry? The Braves want to buy you a crown. Tonight only, fans with the name Larry can go to the Crown Royal Walk-Off Market, Section 131 at Truist Park, and the Braves will buy you one Crown Royal canned cocktail. Limit one per Larry. Must show valid 21 or older ID. What a great promotion that is, isn't it? Giving away liquor in Atlanta. Okay. <laughs> That's going to work out well. Well, there can only be but so many. Come on. So you got to show your ID. You got to show that your your name is Lawrence, I guess, or Larry. And you'll get one Crown Royal. I partied in Atlanta. There will be people that will change their name today (laughs) and have it somehow pushed through for this. How cool is that, though? What a great promotion uh, that is. And I get Crown Royal is one of the Braves' sponsors, so the play-by-play call was perfect. And that line, I'm telling you, that's going to be on T-shirts. Poor Larry a crown with the Braves logo on it. That's going to work this year. For the Atlanta Braves. I, I just thought that was so funny. Yeah, it's I a thought, class yeah. act. Atlanta Braves have just, you know, growing up here, you you kind of were forced to follow them. They're they're a great, great squad. And and the Atlanta Braves deserve it for what they've been through for, what, 10, 15 years? Of- well, they're certainly the cream of the crop now. Now, I will say the pressure is going to start to get on them to win some championships here. You know, I know they got the one a few years ago, but with, with everything they've done during the regular season – they're going to have to translate that to the postseason. I mean, you know, they have the uh, the best record in the National League at 38 and 24, and I think the third best record overall. I think obviously Tampa Bay playing over 700 ball, and I think Texas is a little better than them right now. But other than that, it's Atlanta. But that, the pressure will be on them when they get to the postseason to start winning this thing. But what a fun game last night! And what a great call that was. And I hope they do that again. I was talking with some, some folks in our office at the Robbins Center uh, today who are Braves fans are just absolutely ate it up last night. Just listening to those guys, to those Hall of Famers, to Chipper and Glavin and Smoltz. Of course, Smoltz does national games for Fox. So, so we see and hear him a lot. And Glavin is part of Atlanta's regional TV team. So he's on some broadcasts. Um, Chipper just pops in from time to time. I don't think he's actually one of one of their broadcasters. And Frank Corr 
is their main analyst, so they gave uh, Brandon Gauden, who is their play-by-play guy, the night off, and he literally watched it from home. And, you know, I, was, I saw some of his tweets about how good a production it was last night, so it was great. The baseball talk amongst those guys, the three Hall of Famers and Frank Clore, the production that they put together, um, that's why baseball can be so good even in the midst of a 162-game grind. And last night's Mets-Braves game, both the game and the telecast, um, really shining examples of that. That was a lot of fun. So uh, pour yourself a crown royal if your name is Larry and drink to the Braves' walk-off victory last night. And in case anyone missed it, the Braves came back three straight games. Because, I mean, I, I think you guys didn't hear it the 10th the time that it's been announced. And, and did you know that the Mets have now lost six in a row? Dude, I was so ready to brag today. I watched the game. I was so ready to brag. Ugh. And by the way, I, I, we didn't play this only because I'd get accused of the Philly homer that I am, and we would sound like WIP, the sports radio station in Philadelphia. But the Phillies won on a walk-off last night. Now, it was against the um, you know very mediocre Detroit Tigers. I get that. But it came from Cody Clemens, had the game-winning hit for the Phils in the bottom of the ninth. His dad, yes, is the great Roger Clemens, the Rocket, the Hall of Famer. And he was actually at the game in Philly last night, and they had him on for a couple of innings on the Phillies telecast. So that was pretty cool. It didn't have quite the banter, although it wasn't bad with John Cruck in the booth, uh, in the Phillies TV booth. It wasn't bad. It didn't quite have the impact of Glavin Smoltz and Chipper Jones, but it was still pretty cool that Clemens was there and he got to watch his son get the game-winning hit in the bottom of the ninth for the Phillies. And my point here, before you hit the button to go to the commercial, because you're going to cut me off for more reasons than one, is with that win and the Mets' loss, the Phillies leapfrogged the Mets into third place in the National League East. So the Phils are looking down on the Mets as action starts tonight. The Mets will get healthier. They've got the Pirates this weekend. Pittsburgh's been better than anticipated, but boy, the Mets better do a little bit of damage this weekend in Pittsburgh, or they're really going to be in trouble in the National League East. The Phils are home with the Dodgers this weekend, so we'll find out if Philly is for real or if their five-game winning streak is a little bit of fool's gold because they've done it against the Nationals and the Tigers. And Atlanta is home tonight against those Nationals. You won't hear that one tonight because we have uh, Game 4 of the NBA Finals starting at 7.30 tonight with uh, the Nuggets and the Heat tipping off at 8.30. All right, quick break here before we get you to the top of the hour. That was fun. Thank you, AJ. Thanks for playing along. Thanks for playing the sound bites. Great call last night. Uh, get Larry a crown as we go to break on 1061 ESPN. On 1061 ESPN is brought to you by Park and Go. Reserve your spot today at bookparkandgo.com. Remember, when flying out of Richmond, just park and go. Mind you, tonight we do have game four of the NBA Finals from ESPN Radio. 7.30 airtime, 8.30 game time with the Nuggets and the Heat. And uh, my gut was right on game three. I certainly didn't really pour over all the analytics and all of that and study tape and all of that good stuff. But I do think the Heat come back tonight. I think uh, Jimmy Butler has a big game. And I do think the Heat even this thing up at two and two. But I also still believe it'll be their last win 
of the season. I think the Nuggets uh, then take the next two. So we'll see how that one how that one plays out tonight in Miami. And again, we've got that game on our airwaves uh, starting at seven thirty from ESPN Radio. So we won't have uh, Braves baseball tonight, but they'll be back. Um, over the weekend. So keep it tuned here. we got all the great programming for you, all the great play-by-play coming up this weekend. I'm just checking to see the Braves on Saturday or an afternoon game at 4.10. And Sunday, that's also a day game at 1.30. And our Sunday night game is Red Sox and Yankees. Every time they play, ESPN puts it on the air. So here we go. Red Sox and Yankees is the Sunday night game this week all right that turned out to be a fun first hour appreciate michael phillips and the richmond times dispatch talking washington commanders uh chris edwards play-by-play voice of duke baseball who we had on live yesterday appreciate them getting us his call of the final out of duke's win over virginia today in game one of the super regional five to four and then we had some fun pouring larry a crown and the walk-off homer by the atlanta braves last night and the hall of fame crew in the tv booth that was talking all over it. Hour two of the Sports Auto. It is happy hour, so if you're not driving, go pour yourself a crown and start the weekend. But do it responsibly and tune in to Hour Two of the Sports Auto next. Pearson Moss at 9520 West Broadway.